This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Sir Thomas Sharp's Red Clay. Sharp Clay, royal purveyors of the purest scarlet clay since 1796. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Gothic Horror Week on Pod Cemetery with 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula and 2015's Crimson Peak. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I think that's a good good uh, choice, Kels. Gothic Horror, Valentine's Day, there's all that, that romance that's endemic to Gothic Horror. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mwah. Chef's kiss. But before we get into the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. You're not going to know the answer. What is the name of the town The Fog Engulfs in John Carpenter's The Fog from 1979? I don't know. It's the, it's it's one of those Bay Area names. <laughs> uh, fuck. I can't think of it. What is it? Antonio Bay, California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Damn, and this one's going to be so easy for you. Cool. Hopefully. What does the Dracul in Dracula translate to? From the original Romanian? Nosferatu? No, come on, Kelsey. Vampire? No. Okay. Dracula is the the son of... Dracul. A member of the Order of Dracul. Or the Order of the... Cross? Dragon! Oh, dang it. I forgot that. Yes, they uh, they were basically a, an army for Christianity fighting against the Turks. That's why I said the cross. Yeah. Vlad the Impaler's father was... In that, like, this is legit, the actual history. Vlad the Impaler's father was a part of that order. So when he was in charge of Wallachia, all of his currency had dragons on it. And that's cool. That's why he has the dragon symbol on his banners and shit like that. Yeah. And that's where the name Dracula comes from. He was actually called Draculea or something like that, which actually literally translates to son of the dragon. Mm. Something like that. Anyway, that leads us right into Bram Stoker's Dracula, written by James V. Hart, based, of course, off the novel by Bram Stoker, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and starring Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, Richard E. Grant, Carrie Elwes, Billy Campbell, Sadie Frost, and Tom Waits. Coppola will tell you, over and over and over again, that he likes to credit the original authors if he is adapting something, which is why he calls it Bram Stoker's Dracula. He also eventually put Mario Puzo's name on Godfather. I seem to remember that there was some sort of legal dispute around that, actually. Something like that. Hmm. And 
on the poster for The Rainmaker, it says John Grisham's The Rainmaker. These are all Coppola movies. But you know what else are Coppola movies? Gardens of Stone, based off of a novel by Nicholas Prophet. And Rumblefish and The Outsiders, which are S.E. Hinton novels. Yes. Their names aren't on those movies. Hmm. So I don't know where this is coming from. I have also heard that... The reason it's called Bram Stoker's Dracula is to get it even further away from Universal's Dracula. Yeah. And to avoid that. But he'll tell you, oh, I like to give credit where credit's due. And it's like, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, Why don't I believe that? (laughs) I never realized. Yeah. S.E. Hinton is totally missing from that title. And I've shown that movie many times in school. Yeah. So are you going to put it under B for Bram or are you going to put it under D for Dracula? I think this movie's name should actually be considered Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, if you go and you look up Rainmaker, it's just Rainmaker. But if you look up this movie, it's Bram Stoker's Dracula. So I I think it would be under B. Okay. uh, Because that's part of the title. James V. Hart, who wrote the screenplay to this, also wrote the screenplays to Hook, which I think was filming around the same time. Uh, Muppet Treasure Island. (laughs) Contact. And Tuck Everlasting. Well, she got two good ones, or two pretty good ones. He. Huh? Oh, he. James, yeah. The story of how this movie got made is apparently about, all about Winona Ryder. She was originally going to be in The Godfather, uh, and then she had to uh, drop out of that. Uh, Do you remember? uh, Maybe you don't. This is early 90s. You would have been like four. But for exhaustion... Winona Ryder had? After this movie? No, before this movie, around the time that Godfather 3 was being made. And so she had to drop out because she was being treated for exhaustion. And this is all before the kleptomania? I think so, yeah. And that happened right around the time. That also happened here, yes. But uh, she felt really bad about that. And she was going to see him. Apparently, they were going to adapt On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Uh, But she had gotten her hands on this script and suggested to him that this is something that they could do together. He, of course, was really excited because, again, another thing that Coppola will tell you is that he fucking loves Dracula. He was a camp counselor and he would read it to the kids uh, all the time. And so he was just obsessed with this story. He talks about wanting to he talks about being motivated Uh, Like a combination of loyalty to the original text and an exploration of the real Vlad the Impaler, who is not explicitly mentioned in the original text, but who it's supposed to be based on. Putting those things together, he was really, really excited to tell that story. Um, And we'll talk later about how faithful this is to the original text, but there's all that extra Vlad stuff, too, uh, as well as other things. Do you remember when this movie came out? I guess I vaguely remember it, but I was way too young. I watched this movie with my dad and my brother and my best friend at the time, Andy. And this is when they first released KFC popcorn chicken. And so we ordered it and we all got terribly sick. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't go to KFC for like a decade, maybe after that. (laughs) Just because I, the only time I had ever had it, I got really, really sick because I was excited <laughs> about. I really liked the popcorn chicken too. It was a real big bummer, and I also remember being weirded out by this movie at the time. I was like 
we watched it at home, so I was probably about 10. And it really, really weirded me out. And I I really like that about it now. <laughs> There's something very compelling about that to me now. <laughs> Can you tell us what this is about? I mean, it's Dracula, but sure. Um, it's about a man who goes to war and wins and is successful, but to get back at him for being successful, the other side tells his bride that he has died. So she kills herself. So he is blasphemous, and so he becomes Dracula? Well, he gets angry at God. He was at war for God, and then he gets home and is so fucking pissed off, he renounces God. He puts his sword through the holy cross that's there and all of that. Uh, and, and that turns him into I guess Dracula. he pledges himself against God. So what happened? That's the that's the backstory. But what happens in this movie? So he can live forever now. <laughs> I guess that's the secret to a never ending life. Uh huh. Oh, he, he drinks the blood that came from the cross. Like, yes. That's, I think that's the key magical moment that turns him into a vampire. He finds. That the woman he loved back then, 400 years ago, has been reincarnated, and she's engaged already to Keanu Reeves, <laughs> so he has to win her over. Yep. The movie is available with subscriptions to something called Yup TV, and something else called Eros Now. <laughs> no fucking clue what those things are. <laughs> You can rent it for $4 on most services, but as low as $3 on Amazon, Fandango, and Vudu. You can buy it for $13 on most services, but watch out, Vudu and DirecTV are for some reason $14. Should people watch Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yes. Yes. I think you absolutely should. Yes. It's a little weird. It's a little hokey. Yes. But it's also very, it's a, it's very inventive. It's fun. It's fucking gorgeous. The I, acting I, isn't great. No, the acting isn't great. Notoriously, Keanu Reeves is pretty bad in this. His his accent is bad. But it's, yeah, the costumes alone are incredible. And it's, you know, it's the story of Dracula and it's well told. It's just unfortunate that there are some, like I said, some there's some hokiness, some bad performances, and it's a little odd. But I like that about it. Yeah. Costumes were designed by Eiko Ishioka, who, if you ask Coppola, he said that the bulk of the budget went into the costumes because as far as he was concerned, the costumes were the sets. So it's like the costumes are another character. <laughs> Does this movie take place in New York City? <laughs> but yes, you should. Abs it's so charming. Almost 100% of the effects are done in camera. They used all these old-fashioned turn-of-the-century film techniques, which the visual effects director and, and second unit director, Roman Coppola, is obviously Francis Coppola's son, who he brought on at, like, the age of 20 because all of his visual effects directors were like, we're going to do it all in these special machines that people were doing at that time. You know, the 90s visual effects were getting into computer editing and stuff like that. So, yeah, let's do it all that way. And he's like, no, 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 I want these turn of the century stuff. And they're like, that would be too hard or impossible. And so he's like, you guys are fired. And he just hired his 20-year-old son and who's like, yeah, I could do it. And he fucking did it. There's so much shit in this movie that's done in camera. It's so impressive. And what the way Roman Coppola describes it, he says – 
It looks kind of fake, but wonderfully so. And I think that is absolutely accurate to the feeling that this movie has. It just feels great and weird and just wonderfully absurd. And so I would highly recommend that you watch this if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's worth it. It is a little long. Yes. It's charm wears off by the time all the action picks up towards the end of the movie. But still, I I just I love this movie so much. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula. From one of the most celebrated filmmakers of our time comes the most unforgettable love story of all time. Who are you? Dracula. Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, in a Francis Ford Coppola film, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I give you life, too. At theaters Friday. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Bram Stoker's Dracula begin? 1462, Transylvania. A knight named Dracula, who is pretty much just Vlad the Impaler. He's Vlad the Impaler, yeah. Vlad Tepish. He goes off to war and is successful, and it's all about God. But unfortunately, Winona Ryder, playing Elisabetta, Uh is told that he's dead, so she kills herself. Oh, and in these early scenes, they're all speaking like Romanian, and apparently, as the head priest of the church, Anthony Hopkins is there. Apparently, he also reincarnates as Van Helsing later down the line. Oh, yes. That's, (laughs) yes. I thought that looked like him. Yeah. Oh, and I love the armor. I was going to say, it's interesting to find out that he hated that armor. Yeah, because he could barely move around in it. But for visual aesthetics, it looks like it's just a bunch of muscle. Plus, it has, like, this jackal's head. It's so fucking cool. I absolutely love this. I could just gush about the costumes in this movie. Yeah, it's interesting, because I would have thought... I mean, it makes sense that it is armor, and it would be hard like that, but the way that it looks in the film, I thought it was, like, made out of, like, rubber. Yeah, it's a little moist. It has this sort of... But no, it's hard plastic. It's interesting. Yeah, uh uh-huh. In actuality. Of course, in the movie, it's supposed to be, like, this, like, actual sturdy metal armor. Mm Mm-hmm. Love the armor is what I put. And I my next note is love the silhouette battle. The battle scene is done all in silhouette, and it's just so fucking cool. The sky is red and just, ah. He's so mad that he sticks his sword through the cross and all this uh-huh. blood comes out. The, the statues start crying blood. Blood starts leaking out of the candles. And it's funny because if you watch the... Behind the scenes stuff, he falls several times. Yeah. Before he See, him trying to put the sword into the cross is so good. Mm-hmm. And so then we are transported to London, 1897, uh-huh. where now this is all by coincidence, I guess, right? Yes. He doesn't know that he doesn't Keanu know. Reeves it's all engaged to Winona Ryder. Yes. Okay. So. The love story is not in the original, like, the reincarnation of his old love. That's not in the original Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh. Okay. I've, I don't know if I've ever read it. I haven't. I should. Probably, yeah. I've read Frankenstein. I'll get into it, but apparently we should watch the BBC's 77 version of Count Dracula, 
which is the most faithful representation of the Dracula novel. Cool. Well, I'll talk about why that is at the end. So, Keanu Reeves is sent to Count Dracula's place in Transylvania, and he is engaged to a woman named Mina, who is played by Winona Ryder, who is Vlad the Impaler's lost love reincarnated. Yes, I wrote down, good lord, Winona Ryder's accent, but you know what? It didn't bother me that much, actually. Like, when I first heard it, I was like, oof. But then as like, just a little bit into it, and I was like, you know what? This is very charming. Love Winona Ryder in this. She is fantastic. Winona Ryder, like Keanu Reeves, is not made for every role. Sometimes, though, they just hit those roles that they are made for, and I feel like this is one of them. I feel like she's great in this role. I think she's fine. I, I This is definitely not her worst role by far. By far, yeah. But it's definitely not her great best role either. No. But I think she's fine, and Keanu Reeves's accent is just super distracting. I wrote your God in heaven, Keanu Reeves' accent. Like, I don't even know if he's that bad of an actor in this film. It's just, it's all you can focus on. I've heard people argue that Keanu Reeves is the perfect blank slate actor, and you can put him in roles that you want the audience to put themselves in, because he doesn't emote that much, and he does emote in this movie. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily what's going on here. I think he just, they picked him because he was a young, hot actor and the producers wouldn't let Coppola hire Johnny Depp. He was already hired and they were going to do it. And then the studio's like, ah, oh, he's not hot enough right now. Like he's not a big enough actor. And so one owner Ryder recommended Keanu Reeves because they knew each other. He's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Cause he was dealing with so much other shit. He's like, I just need this role filled. And I feel like he's said before that he's regretted it. <laughs> hmm. I don't think Keanu Reeves has mentioned it, like, ever. I couldn't find him saying anything about, you know, whether or not he regrets taking that role or anything like that. Oh, really? I thought I read that he said that he was tired and had nothing left to give or something. You know what? I think I do remember that. But maybe there was no confirmation. Of yeah, I don't know. Somebody yeah. said that. He said that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's just distracting. So he can't marry Mina before he goes. They have to wait until he comes back, I guess, probably because he, oh, he doesn't think he has enough money. That's what yeah. she says. Uh -huh. He's got, I got to earn enough money. The previous dude has gone insane. And so I have to take his place, which should have, like, I don't know, told you something about it. <laughs> But Tom Waits, Renfield, came back crazy. That's a deviation from the original novel. Renfield is not Harker's predecessor. We need to talk about this predecessor, man. Uh-huh. He has a bigger role in the novel, I think. I, like, I get that he plays a role in that he tells her that... Like, get away? Yeah, Dracula wants you leave. Uh-huh. But that is so small and unimportant to the story that I recognize that it was mainly kept in the film because of the weird, jarring, bizarre, theatrical nature of the mental asylum, right? Yeah. Well, most people cut characters out when they adapt Dracula. Like, for instance... Uh, Quincy P. Morris is in, like, none 
of the adaptations, except for like this one and Count Dracula from the BBC production. And like, no, everyone combines him and uh, Dr. Seward, Richard E. Grant's character. Quincy is the, the Texan. Oh, the one that's barely in it? Yeah, and he is, in the original novel, he is the one who kills Dracula, which is really? crazy. He's the one who kills Dracula in this one. He gets, he? he gets that lethal blow. No. Oh, of course, he also that. dies. Ah. So, like, sorry to, like, spoil it for you, but, like, <laughs> you know Dracula's going to be defeated in this. Come on. Yes. But... It adds absolutely nothing to the story. It could totally be taken out of a movie that is already too long. And while I I appreciate Yeah, kill your the, darlings. While I appreciate the aesthetic feel of it all, it's also confusing because you think that this guy is going to become important in some way, and he never does. He never does in the story. He never yeah. becomes important. And it also gives you this weird sense of the doctor character. Yeah, is he twisted in some way? And, who is, yeah. he was one of Lucy's suitors. And yes. who is also, like, one of the sane people who tries to help them at the end. One of the three, four, there are like five main male characters that yeah. that go up against Dracula, and he's one of those. Yeah, yeah. he's very important, and he, he, like, has interactions with Mina, as well, as well as Lucy. Like, he takes care of Lucy yeah, when she's uh -huh. sick. Well, and, and his character is the reason that anyone even knows Van Helsing exists. Yeah. He's the one who calls Van Helsing. But so you get this really strange side of him at the, at the asylum. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I don't know that I needed that side of this character. Yeah. Anyway. So, the Romanians that are in, that are traveling with Keanu Reeves on his way to Dracula's castle... They give him a cross and refuse to speak to him and leave. Uh-huh. When he arrives, there's all these animals that are around him. That are they just drop him off in the middle of nowhere. These wolves are coming. And then a carriage shows up. And I'm sure Chris wants to explain this because he loved it I loved when it, it happened. I love it. I love it. I love it. So part of the original story is that when Harker shows up at the castle, it's fucking empty and there's nobody there except for the count. And then he later finds the brides, but they're like, there are no people that work there. And so he assumes that the driver of the carriage must have been Dracula himself, but it is Gary Oldman wearing that outfit, driving the carriage. And they put him on this, this camera crane and so when he arrives, he reaches out his hand and the arm doesn't stretch or anything like that. It just travels through the air. And they did that by by putting Gary Oldman on, on the crane and then moving him closer to Keanu Reeves. And Keanu Reeves was on this false floor that could that could pivot up. And so he just kind of like lifts up off the ground and you don't see any of this. It's just designed to make you feel like physics isn't working properly here. Anywhere around Dracula, things don't work right. And everything's kind of off. And this is like the first sense that you get of that. And there's going to be many more moments like that. It's just a great effect. When he arrives at the castle, there is like a barrier of blue flame. Okay. The only post-production effect in the movie is this blue flame. And it's totally incidental to the story. It doesn't mean jack shit. Nope. It does like, come up, but I'd right. not for any effect. Blue Inferno. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> but in the original story, the driver 
apparently stops and puts some some like rocks down or whatever to mark the path where he saw a blue flame because a blue flame in the night identifies buried treasure. And he's like, oh, I'll come back to this later. And Dracula comments that, oh, well, the the animals will get to him before he ever gets to any treasure or whatever. And it's just never resolved. But I guess because it was a cool effect that was mentioned in the novel, they wanted to put it here. And it's almost like when they pass through that flame, then they're safe from all the wolves that are coming after them. But no, it doesn't mean inject shit. Nope. And it's the only non-practical effect, mm-hmm. which is nuts. <laughs> So this is when we get our first shot of Dracula. And for some reason, he's like ancient old and has, I'm sorry, I think the hair is real dumb. Oh, I love it. He has like. It's iconic. I know it's iconic. His butt hair. <laughs> it's funny that you say that. I think it's boob hair. It reminds me, it reminds me of little Nicky when the guy gets boobs on his head. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a call out. That's what I'm thinking of when I look at him. But he rocks that coat. Oh, Jesus. With that long train. Mm -hmm. It's like this robe thing that he's wearing. Gary Oldman is fucking incredible in this movie. I love him. And the reason he's old is because he hasn't fed. Like how long? No idea. He can't die, but he's ancient at this point because he hasn't fed on human flesh in however long. That's, again, why... Towards the end, he ends up aging as well. Uh, And it's why he's young right before he comes to England. Interesting. Because he ends up feeding on the people on the boat. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he feeds on Harker in addition to the brides feeding on him. But yeah. Interesting. So... He sees a picture of Dracula young, and he's young like, Young warrior oh, Dracula, yeah. Is that an ancestor? I see a resemblance. <laughs> because it is him. Uh-huh. He's telling him a story, and I don't remember what it's about, but Keanu Reeves laughs, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Dracula turns on him with a sword to his neck. Uh-huh. He's talking about his story as a tragedy, and oh. but he communicates it in a sort of like he's his his he is cursed right and it's not funny but he kind of talks about it like ugh relatives am i right <laughs> and so keanu reeves like huh, yeah and he's like that's not a joke <laughs> <laughs> the relationship was not entirely successful oh yes <laughs> It is no laughing matter. We, Dracula's have a right to be proud. What devil or witch was ever so great as a killer whose blood flows in these veins? Yeah, I love the voice that he does, especially when I finally heard what Gary Oldman sounds like in real life. Yeah. It is so very different. Mm -hmm. He comes to you in the night. The Dark Stranger. It's like sex. I don't know. It's like orgasmic. It's a strange kind of tingle. He's Lucifer. He's Mephistopheles. He is like the devil, isn't he? He's the devil. And I don't know if you've ever heard it like in a movie before. He always does different voices. He really does. Like, name a movie where he just plays himself. It's very bizarre. It's almost like what's-his-face from There Will Be Blood and Lincoln and... Gangs of New York and My Left Foot and all of those. What's his name? Why can't I think of his name? Can't think of it either. Sorry. Daniel Day-Lewis. There you go. Jesus. 
he's talking to him, and then he sees the picture of Mina. Yeah. And he gets he, really creepy about it. He's really creepy about it. And he's like, the luckiest man is he who finds true love. And this is when he tells him, I want you to stay for a month. Yeah. Why is Harker there in the first place? He's going to help him buy houses in London. Yeah, all over London. Sort of like ev- evenly spaced throughout London. We find out later, uh, and this is actually in the book, that that's where he's going to put all of the dirt from his his homeland because he needs to sleep in it to rejuvenate himself. And so he wants to go to London and be able to, you know, be young again. Mm-hmm. So he tells him that he has to write three letters to tell everybody that he's going to be gone for a month. Yeah. But Harker isn't fooled. He knows he's a prisoner now. And so he writes letters. He writes in his journal, all this honesty uh, but he writes the letters that says, hey, everything's great. I'll be here for another month. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at home, Mina is hanging out with her bestie, Lucy. Lucy. And Lucy is all about sex. And Mina is all about being proper. Propriety, yeah. And Lucy has these three suitors who are all in love with her, one of which is Carrie Elwes. Yes, so Carrie Elwes is Lord Arthur Holmwood. Then there's Richard E. Grant, who plays Dr. Jack Seward. And Billy Campbell plays Quincy P. Morris, the Texan. Yes. And she's intrigued by all of them. You know, Dr. Seward's a little bumbling, but he's a doctor, you know, and uh, he's really fucking smart. And Carrie Elwes, he's a lord, he has a title, and he's rich. And Billy Campbell is the exciting, adventurous Texan. You know, so she's like, oh, each of these are the archetypical suitors for her, you know? Yes. During this time, now that Dracula has seen Mina's picture, he starts to communicate with her in her mind. Yeah. She doesn't quite know what's going on, and it's subtle, but it happens. (laughs) Okay, so. Is this the shaving scene? I th- I think so because this is this is that when he says the inferno yes. line yes yes okay so the shaving Plain. scene has a mirror trick just like in Terminator so Dracula doesn't show up in the mirror he puts his hand on his shoulder when he turns around Dracula's just in the doorway it's a really cool moment uh, and he shaves him he licks the blood off the razor all these really cool moments does and- he break the mirror too. Yes. He says to Harker for some reason, I can't remember why, that Transylvania is not England. Our ways are not your ways. And to you, there shall be many strange things. Yes. And Harker says. Oh, God. I've seen many strange things already. Bloody wolves chasing me through some blue inferno. Bloody wolves chasing me through some blue inferno. Inferno. <laughs> it's it's not good. It's bad. It's really, really bad. <laughs> but and in like this charming way. I can't it's, believe they kept it in the movie. I know. <laughs> they really needed to recast him. But they had done all this like pre-rehearsal work with the whole group. And you can't just take somebody out and place them in again. No, I mean, redo the fucking line. Yeah, it's pretty big. Give him a voice coach. Yes. For the love of God. But <laughs> this is when we get the, the wolves howling and the famous Dracula line. Listen to them. The children of the night. What sweet music they make. Listen to them. 
когда тихо ты дом What sweet music, так Music? Those animals? Those animals? Yes. <laughs> so in the original Dracula storyline, Dracula can turn into a wolf, just a plain old wolf, not a wolf man like we'll see later in this movie, and he can kind of control them with his mind. And here, Keanu sees him, like, crawling around on the ground like a wolf almost. Yeah. This is when he says, I know now that I am a prisoner, because I, yeah. think, I think this is when Dracula just kind of gives up trying to uh-huh. keep up pretense. Yep. And then that night he is lured into a room of pleasures. Monica Bellucci is one of these. I don't know who that is. Okay. Do you remember Matrix Reloaded? Which one is that? Is that two or three? That's two. She's also in three. I remember two. Do you remember the Merovingian scene? Which scene is that? With the cum cake. Yeah. She's the woman there. The one who... Persephone, who wants to make love to him or whatever, and, but Trinity's, like, right there, and they're trying to see, like, oh, she knows stuff. She could help us. Do I kiss her in front of my girlfriend? Like, oh, it's this whole yeah. moment. Yeah, that's Monica Bellucci. Is she in that one movie that you... Yes, she's in Irreversible. She's the... She's uh, Alex. In Irreversible. You mean the main woman? I believe so, yes. I've never seen Irreversible, but I know you have. That's the same person? Yes. So she's one of the brides here. Which is funny because Keanu Reeves, Matrix. Yeah, anyway. I remember her from Milena, where she's like a MILF. I don't know what that is. (laughs) It's a movie about a little boy and a hot mom. Anyway. (laughs) It's an Italian movie. Uh, Anyway. I own it. We can watch it. (laughs) (laughs) So they're like having sex with him, I guess, even though he loves Mina. Well, he's being like hypnotized by them. And they're like, you know, biting his nipples and they come up from out of the bed and it's this whole fucking elaborate thing. There's a mirror above them and none of them are in the mirror. Yep. And then Dracula comes in and he's like... Get the fuck off of him. Did I give you permission? And he like throws one of them and they attach to the wall. Yeah. Why? Why does he want them not to do that? Uh, I imagine it's a power thing. Oh. Because later on, he's just going to leave them. with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just they didn't ask for permission. I would assume it's something like that. He also doesn't want him killed or who knows. I'm sure there are plenty of reasons. Also, they're like, are we not getting anything for the night? And he's like, here, have this baby. Yes, and so Keanu Reeves flips the fuck out. Yes, Keanu Reeves cannot hang during this. And <laughs> Dracula slash Emperor just loves it. <laughs> Emperor? From Star Wars? Oh, yes, he has this, like, la- like the laugh with the hands, and he he's an old, decrepit like man. just like Emperor, laughing. Palpatine, yep. Back to Lucy and Mina. Lucy comes out. I've decided I love him and I've said yes. And she's decided she's going to marry Carrie Elwes, which would, of course, who wouldn't? This is when Dracula takes over the weather 
and gives them like sexy rain time and there's a Oh yeah, they're and there just happens running through to the be rain. a hedge maze. Uh-huh. And they're making out because that's what girls do, uh-huh. you know. That's what we all want to do. And he watches them in the rain and laughs. Is he there by now? Has he shown up? No, not yet. He is currently on his way. So yeah. he's manipulating the weather on his way. And yes, he is killing people off in the crew. Mm-hmm. And they're all thinking that there's a monster aboard. Yep. And there is. Uh-huh. That night, or whenever he finally gets there, Lucy is going to go out into that hedge maze and she is going to fuck one monster hardcore. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. They are having a, a hardcore sex. And Mina comes out and sees it. And I love his reaction. Don't see me. And it's so funny because he's ashamed to have her see him like that. But it's like, you're the one who did it. Yeah. I mean, he's he's slaking his appetites and drinking blood. And he needs to get young again. And that's like part of this. If he before, he doesn't want her to see him until he is young and noble and something she might be attracted to. He doesn't want her seeing him as a monster. I understand. But then yes. you don't have to be that monster. Uh-huh. But so then we get find out that apparently vampires can move around in the sunlight. They're just weakened. Yes, our narrator, who is Anthony Hopkins, says, Contrary to some beliefs, the vampire, like any other night creature, can move about by day, though it is not his natural time, and his powers are weak. And it's fun. It's filmed like a 1920s movie would be filmed. They used a real old-fashioned camera to film that. And he looks like a steampunk god. Yeah, with those circular blue glasses and that top hat. And I oh, looks so cool. <laughs> so he's trying to get her to see him, but he's weak. So she doesn't. So he has to go after her. And she is immediately like, excuse me, I will call the police. Oh, yeah. What would my husband have to say about uh-huh. any of this? And he's she pulls like, the I'm already married thing, and yeah. So he's like, okay, fine. And then oh, she's husband, like- Oh, husband, I'm sorry. Even though he knows. Yeah. I have your fiance back at my castle. Yeah. And then and then she feels bad for lying about it, so she's like, I'm so sorry. That's I'll, where she went wrong. I'll do the favor you asked me. I'll take you to the movie house. Back at the house, Lucy is not doing well. No. She- has amazing hearing, but terrible nightmares. And she's becoming erratic. Yes, and this is when the doctor contacts Van Helsing, and this is when Carrie Elwes says, Hurry, man, spare no expense! Spare no expense. Van Helsing knows more about obscure diseases than any man in the world. He's my teacher and mentor. Do it, man. Bring him here. Spare no expense. Spare no, no expense. Spare no expense. At the movie house, he is uh, he is very impressed with science, and she's like, "How can you call this science?" Uh huh. He makes her start to feel very uncomfortable, but then a wolf shows up, and he saves her from the wolf. So now she's like, "Oh, I guess I like you." They have this moment, like the one in Red Dragon. Where she gets to pet the wolf. Yes. Just like uh-huh. she pet the tiger uh-huh. or the lion. What is it? Is it a tiger? It's a tiger in that one, yeah. I would love to pet a tiger. Yeah, that would be so cool. <laughs> I've pet a wolf, though. I don't know if I have or not. I have. So when he saves her, 
this is when he says the famous line, I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Yep. I gotta say, James V. Hart did a really good job with this screenplay. As ridiculous as all of this stuff that's going on is, there are some fantastic lines in this. Very melodramatic. It is a gothic romance. It is supposed to be that way. And he just hits that nail right on the head. I agree. I agree. His eyes glow red and his teeth grow, but then he stops himself. No, I can't. Yes, he holds back. And he says there is much to be learned from beasts. Mm-hmm. We find out that poor Keanu is being drained by the women. Uh-huh. Being kept a slave. And so he needs to escape. Yes. So I guess the only way to become a vampire is to drink from a vampire? They drink your blood, you drink their blood. Okay. But if they just drink your blood, it's only if they kill you or not. Yeah, they can kill you by doing that, or they could keep you alive and continually drain your blood, either or. Okay. But yeah, I guess because Lucy never drinks his blood, he just kills her. Right? Does Lucy ever drink his blood? Lucy full-on turns into a vampire, I know, but does she drink his blood? I assume so. He kills her by tearing her throat out as a wolf. Like, he just... I thought... He smashes through the window and, like, rips at her throat. killed her. He kills her as a vampire. Yeah. But she dies in the first place and is laid to rest. She is interred. She dies in the first place by Dracula. Oh. Dracula turns into a wolf and, like, rips at her throat. Hmm. They keep checking up on Lucy, and they're like, she keeps losing blood, but we can't figure out why. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this is when Van Helsing looks at the bite marks. Uh-huh. Now, how did he know to look there? Because I think he knows about the vampire. He, okay. So there are other vampires. Is what By this saying. point, yes, Dracula is the first one, but there are others. This is hundreds of years later after Dracula became the first vampire. So he's made a bunch. Yeah. In the in the meantime, that's not what this story is about. Okay. And, you know, he studies the vampire bat. The first time we see him, he's talking about the vampire bat and how they need to be replenished by blood because they they're, their blood, like, their blood cells break apart and decompose or something like that unless they drink blood. I don't know if that's real, but that's Van Helsing's understanding of them. And so then, yeah, he notices that she's like hemophilic or whatever and checks for the puncture marks on her neck. And sure enough, they're there. He gets really excited about the fact that Dracula has returned. Yes, he's excited to fight him. It's his ultimate foe. Uh-huh. And Quincy calls him an old coot. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Mina's doing absinthe with Dracula. Yes, and he has this whole metaphor about absinthe. It's the aphrodisiac of the self. Uh-huh. Which is, what does that even mean? I don't know. And they dance. Yep. This is the first time in these two movies we are going to see somebody do a single pair waltz involving candles. Oh. It's in both movies. I remember in the second movie, I didn't, oh, oh, because there's candles around them. Yeah, they're just, they're in a black void surrounded by candles when they do this waltz. And I might be wrong, this may not be a waltz, but it looked like it to me. I wrote this down several times, and then after watching the behind-the-scenes stuff, obviously it became clear Coppola wanted him to do this. 
I wrote down, why is Van Helsing so strange and bizarre? And it comes out of nowhere. Because that's the thing. Like, if he was just weird throughout, then that would be one thing. But it'll just be like, he'll be totally serious. And then it'll be strange. And then it'll be serious again. Uh, he'll be... He'll be weird. through. I mean, when he when he talks about how she's going to turn into a vampire, he says... Uh, your precious Lucy will become a bitch of the devil, a whore of darkness. We are dealing with forces beyond all human experience and enormous power. So God nowhere. Otherwise, your precious Lucy will Honest. become a bitch of the devil. <laughs> a whore of darkness. <laughs> well, you're a sick old buzzard. <laughs> he is kind of insane with the secret knowledge that he has. <laughs> Uh, he says, hear me out, young man. Lucy is not a random victim attacked by mere accident, you understand. No, she's a willing recruit, a breathless follower, a wanton follower. I dare say a devoted disciple. She is the devil's concubine. Yeah, she must have drank his blood when he has sex with her as the wolf monster at that moment. And that's why she's changing. That's my guess. Because she's already changing at this point. That's why she's losing blood. It's yes. because it's breaking apart just like the vampire bat. Yes. But before she's fully changed, she tells Mina, go. Oh, because at this point, Keanu has escaped. Yes, there's a great scene where he falls sideways off the roof. It's so cool. <laughs> and he gets picked up by like a convent. Yes. And they're taking care of him. And he writes to Mina and is like, I need you to come here. And we need to get married right away. Yes. And Lucy tells her, you've got to go. Go to him. Yeah, don't stick around here on my account. Lucy's a great character. Yeah. She's awesome. Like, she's a really cool person. She just lives the life that she wants to live. She loves Mina. And then she gets to become a cool, kick-ass vampire. Yeah, And we get that out of her, too. Like, she's a great character. Played by Sadie Frost. Well, right after Mina leaves, uh, this is when she really... Lucy really starts to change. She throws the garlic away. Yeah. she Her teeth are coming in. And I think this is when they kill her. He She gets killed this night by Dracula, who shows up, breaks through the window, and then bites her neck. Hmm. Well, Mina decides to follow her friend's advice and runs off to meet her betrothed. And she sends a letter to Vlad telling him, sorry, babe, but I got to go get married. Uh-huh. And, and he's like, no. Yeah. And he, he cries as this like half monster thing. Yeah. He turns into this bizarre looking monster. It's like a halfway point between a, uh, the Wolfman and him. Yeah. And he's like, wins. Yeah. <laughs> he drinks. He, he caused all these, this wind to pick up. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is the scene where Coppola, unsatisfied with the way that the wedding scene turned out, ordered reshoots and hired an actual Romanian priest of some sort to marry them. And just recently, Winona said, uh, you know, as far as I know, we're literally married because uh, it was a real priest doing a real ceremony. I, we could still be married for all I know. She has fond memories of Keanu Reeves. Like, they have this great relationship, obviously, right? And everyone's, like, shipping them in real life. As far as I know, Keanu sounds amazing. So right? So why well, wouldn't you? Apparently on set, you know how he Coppola does all these things? Like, when, when Dracula's the bat, he does all these improv games on set. And so in this case, he has all the characters who are in this room go blindfolded. And Oldman in full makeup comes up to them and whispers weird shit in their ears to, like, creep them out. And so they can be in that frame of mind for the scene. Apparently, at one point, 
he asked Keanu Reeves to belittle Winona Ryder in order to get her in the right emotional state for a particular scene, and he refused. He wouldn't do it. And that was apparently just last year Winona mentioned that in an interview about how much she loves him and that, like, he was asked to, like, call me names and put me down and even just for an improv exercise, and he refused to do it. Like, it's kind of (laughs) cool. Keanu just seems like such a cool guy. And he has so much shit happen to him in his life. And it's just, oh, it's too bad he's not a great actor. I think he's a good actor. He needs very specific roles. roles. Why can't I ever say what I really mean? Okay, that's the writing. (laughs) Anyway. Lucy is dead now, and she gets buried in her amazing wedding dress. I condemn you to living death to eternal hunger for living blood, is what Dracula tells her before he kills her. And yes, this beautiful wedding dress with totally ridiculous frill around the neck. It's awesome. It's great. And she's got this this, uh, headpiece on, and she's completely white. Just really cool. So Van Helsing is coming in and he's like, uh, I, they, they think he wants to do an autopsy and they're like, you're not touching her. And he's like, I don't want to do an autopsy. I just want to cut off her head and take out her heart. <laughs> I want you to bring me before nightfall a set of post-mortem knives. An autopsy? Lucy? No, 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 not exactly. I just want to cut off her head and take out her heart. See what I mean? He's a little nuts. <laughs> and they go in there and they open up her sarcophagus and she's not she's there. She's not there. Well, let me tell you about the way she looked, the way she attacked, the color of her hair. She comes down the stairs and they hide and she's carrying this crying baby. Also, though, at some point, Keanu sees Vlad and he says, he's grown young. Oh, yeah, because they're returning here, yeah. But, yeah, she has a toddler, and she just, like, drops it when they stop her. Yeah, she just, like, and we see behind the scenes that there's, like, somebody down there that catches the baby. Yes. And then hands it off to Seward. Like, that's really cool. And, yeah, she's she's a vampire, and Anthony Hopkins is Van Helsing, does the whole thing where she crawls back into her sarcophagus and falls asleep because he's doing, like, the holy prayer or whatever. Well, she tries to lure... Arthur. Yes, and he is totally like, oh, yes. Come to me. Carrie Elwes, yeah. And I wrote down, God, she looks so good here. She looks so good. The the aesthetics are great. I love her walking backwards. Yeah, because they actually filmed that backwards. They filmed her waking up and getting out of the coffin, and then they played it in reverse. And then now that she's been put out by this prayer, he makes Carrie Elwes stab her through the heart, and the blood goes everywhere. And, and it cuts off her cut head. Cut off her head, and the shot of her head flying through the air is great. Uh huh. And then Van Helsing is eating meat. Because <sighs> the next scene isn't that him with Harker and Mina at the restaurant? So at this dinner with Mina and Harker, Mina asks him, How did Lucy die? Was she in great pain? And Van Helsing, like, breathlessly <laughs> is like, Yeah, she was in great pain. Then we cut off her head and drove a stick to her heart. And burned it, and then she found peace. Doctor! (laughs) (laughs) It's just so good. And this is when Harker reveals, I know where the bastard sleeps. Yes. With his great line. line. I doubted everything. Even my mind. I was impotent with fear. I know. But so, 
I know where the bastard sleeps. I brought him there to Carfax Abbey. But yeah. I personally think the blue, blue inferno, inferno is so much worse. <laughs> but yes, I know where the bastard sleeps. And he there. explains the fact that, okay, yeah, there's all these properties around and he had all of his dirt shipped to Carfax Abbey, which is right next to the insane asylum where the doctor works. And so they all get together to destroy these boxes full of his soil and bless them and basically make it to where he can't use this stuff and he can't rest anymore. And they leave her locked up in the insane asylum in the doctor's office. And they go and they take care of this stuff. And while they're all out doing that, this is when Dracula shows up. As green mist, which uh-huh. is fun. Yeah. And he kills the dude who eats bugs because he told her that he was looking for her, I guess. Yeah. Renfield. Why he existed in the first place, I don't know. What he was planning to do with him, I don't know. Well, he also serves a function of showing how people can become devoted to Dracula through his mind control and how... Mina might not be in her right mind when she realizes that she's a reincarnation of Elisabetta and that she loves him and that she asks to be turned here. Yes. This is when she said, I've wanted this to happen. I know that now. And then, of course, she's like, but you murdered Lucy. But God, forgive me. I love you. And it's just like, what? That's not in the book. In the original book, he turns her without her permission. And she's devastated by it. Mina? Yeah. Uh, But in this moment, he drinks her blood, he slices open his chest, and she starts drinking his, and then he pulls her away. He's like, no, I can't do it. And this is when everyone comes bursting in, like, what the fuck? Dracula's here! And he turns into this giant bat thing, which is incredible. No, this is when he turns into the rats. Is it the rats first? No, he turns into the bat and then into the rats, I think. Because they show up and they got their torches and shit. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, he turns into this, like, body of rats. Yeah, he slinks away into the darkness as they're doing the prayers and shit like that and the crosses and all of that. And then you just see his eyes. And then when they light it up again with the torch where he is, it's like a human shape. But it's all these, it's like a rat king sort of thing. And all the rats just fall to the floor and scurry off. Which is not something he can do in the novel. So they decide to use Mina as bait. Yeah. And they put her inside a circle of salt. You know, you'll be safe here. But she doesn't really want to be safe because now she's like, damn, I want to be with Dracula. Uh Uh-huh. And there's a very long chase scene. Yeah, so his soil destroyed, he basically needs to go back to Transylvania to recuperate. They decide that they can get there via train and all this other stuff faster than he can via boat, which is how he's getting. And he's getting transferred back by the by the Romani. They call them gypsies who serve him as their lord or whatever. And they're very, very faithful to him. And it's this whole chase scene of them trying to make it back to his castle before he does. And they end up showing up there at the same time. In the novel, he's just killed. He doesn't pop up out of the coffin. He's killed here. But in this one, he pops up out of the coffin. He's wearing that robe that looks like the one in Gustav Klimt's The Kiss. And there's this whole encounter where he kills 
Quincy, but Quincy gets that shot in the heart to him. Yeah, stabs him in the heart. And this is when Keanu wants to do him in. And Winona's like, would you do the same to me? And he's no. like, oh, shit. And they're like, come on, get him. And, and Keanu Reeves is like, no, nah, she's got this. And I'm like, can you be confident of that? Can you really? And they go inside and he's back in like the Abbey portion of his castle, the one where he first turned. And there are all these murals of Elizabeth's dead body and him fighting in the war and all of that. And they collapse upon the stairway where Elizabeth's body was left drowned. Uh, but it was left to show him that she was really dead in the beginning of the movie. And he's dying. Do you remember what he says to her? Our love is stronger than death. Yeah, all it, this stuff. Give me peace. And so he dies and then she takes the sword and cuts off his head, which was apparently also a pickup. Apparently George Lucas told him to do that. And the curse is lifted. Yep. So she's not going to turn now. No. Mm hmm. But like the ending is with her laying on him. It's yeah. like a painting. And then we get an Annie Lennox song for some reason. Annie Lennox's love song for a vampire. Yeah. The like I said, it's real hokey at some point. Yeah. Oh, man. And that is that is the movie. I talked a lot about the stuff where this differs. Cinemassacre. Who is the guy that does Angry Video Game Nerd, Board James, and that kind of stuff? James Rolfe. He did one about a year ago. So I guess a year ago last Halloween. So a year and a couple months. He did a comparison of 10 different famous Dracula movies and how faithful they are to the original novel. And this one and the 77 BBC Count Dracula were head and shoulders above all the rest. For the same things that I mentioned before, you know, like Quincy is an actual character and he's the one that does the killing blow. That kind of stuff. I think Count Dracula got like two points more uh, and he evaluated like 60 different plot points from the movie. Uh, they were really, really close, but he ultimately called it for Count Dracula because this movie adds just so much shit. That's mm -hmm. not in the original. Mm -hmm. So it is very faithful to the plot points of the original, but it also adds in all the Vlad the Impaler stuff. It adds in the reincarnation stuff with, with Mina. Renfield is Harker's predecessor, the one who went there to help him buy all the property first and went crazy. Some of the Romani die in this. They don't die in the novel. The Blue Flame talked about how that's different. The Rats is new to the movie. Like I said, Mina didn't ask to become a vampire, all that kind of stuff. It's just additional added on stuff. What it does though, is it changes Dracula, this monster that needs to be vanquished into a tortured soul who still needs to be vanquished, but has a tragic story. It makes it much more of what you would expect out of, you know, a tragic love story, mm -hmm. which is what this is. And I think everything that is supplemental to the novel, like, works. I think it's some really cool stuff. I agree. I just think that there is a lot of stuff in here that could have been taken out, and a lot of it is probably because of when it was made, I think. Like I said, the visuals of the mental asylum are great. They remind me a lot of, like, 12 Monkeys and stuff. 
Oh, and how all the workers there have cages on their heads. <laughs> but that doesn't add to the story, and it just makes it longer, and it makes you question, like... It doesn't add to the story, but it adds to the the tone, and a lot of this movie is tone. Yeah, I guess. It's just that when, when, you, when you're trying to find ways to cut your movie um, down... I, yeah, I get it. I totally get that. Yes, you're right. And, uh, you know... The whole, like, girls kissing in the rain felt very 90s to me. Yeah, but apparently that's a very big, like, you know, bisexual representation thing. <laughs> People look back on it now fondly for stuff like that. Of course, his accent is no good. Uh-huh. But I think that there's so much good in this movie. I love the trickery. I love the costumes. The visual trickery. Yes, I think mean? it's yeah. a. I think it's a very good story. I but the thing is, is that I don't want her to end up with Dracula, which is odd because normally, I want the yeah. messed up love story. So yeah. my question is, what did you do wrong? Wrong. I think that's good. I mean, they just they 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 did nothing to make me feel like no, he killed your friend, and you don't care. Well, because she's under his spell. Maybe that's why. You don't like that. Yeah. And he recognizes that she's under his spell, and he rejects that. He still loves her, but he can't turn her. He turned into a vampire because of her. And hundreds of years later, he gets her back, and the tragedy is he could have her forever. But in order to do that, he has to turn her into a vampire, and he can't destroy her soul like that. Because he knows exactly what it's done to him. It has destroyed him. And so he finally can have her, but he can't bring himself to take her. And that's, like, that's really fucking cool. And you don't get that in the original novel. You don't get that in a lot of Dracula stories. I, I, It's awesome. And like I said, all the visual effects, the double exposures, the forced perspective, all that, the rear projection stuff, like, it's a feast for me. It's a feast for the eyes. But I start to get a little full towards the end. When we start chasing him back to the castle and all of that, I'm like, when's this movie going to end? Yeah, I think exactly. it's about time. So it's, it's not perfect. Last 15 to 30 minutes. Just, yeah. You're just like, oh, come on. This let's movie's go. just over two hours, and it probably could have gotten away with being like an hour and 45, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? Um, I guess it's pretty high. Maybe like an 87? 72. Oh, shit. Overblown in the best sense of the word, Francis Ford Coppola's vision of Bram Stoker's Dracula rescues the character from decades of campy interpretations and features some terrific performances to boot. Yes, and some horrible ones, too. I added that. It has a 57 <laughs> Metacritic score. And a B-minus cinema score, which is a little surprising, I thought for sure it would be lower than that. You thought people would think it was so weird, too weird? Yeah, very, you know, movies that tend to be more avant-garde and aren't just about, you know, feeding your most base instincts when you go into a movie, like, people tend to reject those. Even if they're not great. Like, you don't like Mother that much. Mother had an F. Right? Like, that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting people to, to go like, oh, whoa, what's going on with this fucking movie? <laughs> and just rejecting it when they come out. But it got a B minus, so I'm very surprised. But do you think this is overrated or underrated? Underrated. Oh, absolutely underrated. But 
what would you give it? I'm going to give it a 79. Oh, man. I'm giving it a 79. Oh, man. Because I... It doesn't even get an 80. Blue Inferno! I just... But I this, love this, that about it. Like, so. I want... It's not... I don't, I don't see that in cringe. I see it and I go, oh, this is so wonderful. <laughs> I... Uh, his boob hair. I don't get... Like, <laughs> his boob hair. <laughs> That can be interpreted as something completely different. <laughs> um, the fact that she wants to be with him when she could be with Keanu, I don't know. Keanu's the safe one, and she's always been repressed. And she sees Lucy and her love for life, but she doesn't get the warning message that that lust for life was her downfall. But this is her opportunity to throw off that repression, and it's ill-advised. But she does it anyway, or she tries to have it anyway, because she realizes safe Keanu is maybe not what she wants, but ultimately she realizes it's what she needs. I love that stuff. I'm going to give it a 91, which is why I was really bummed that you gave it a 79. 79, right? Not 78? 79. 79. It's so close to being an 80. Because I'm like, it. it's just past 80s it's not high 90s it's not even mid 90s but it it gets up in there because it just it makes me feel good watching this movie despite how tragic it is just as a piece of film magistry i love this movie for for like that reason i love everything that goes into it i love how fucking weird it is i i love all the costumes i love all the weird camera shit i love all the sets how how minimal they are i like all of that stuff but see I love okay it. i feel i like love all the lines that are really great i feel like his idea was a better one i liked the idea of making the costumes even bigger and making the, the sets even smaller and right now, as the sets are, they feel like pieces of foam that are just in the background. And I get that's because he didn't want to do them. Well, his original idea was to go completely German impressionistic. Yes, exactly. And I think that would have been Lots a of fantastic and idea. Sharp angles and stuff like that. I yeah. love impressionism. But if you're going to do a gothic story, I get that you want the costumes to shine. But at least have some decorative pieces in your sets. It needs to be gothic. But, like, right now, it's just it just looks like boring set pieces. I think they create a space where you're supposed to feel something, but not that takes precedence over the characters themselves. Which is why, like, great elaborate costumes and weird costumes are awesome because they're on the characters who are more important, you know? I wish that the men had had more interesting costumes. Yeah, they just have a, a bunch of, you know, tuxes and stuff like that. Yeah, Suits. not even Van Helsing had anything interesting about his costume. He had that cape that he wore that was really cool. But, like, Dracula has all the good costumes, and there are tons of them. Yeah. Even when he's just wearing a suit, his, like you say, sort of, like, steampunk... Yes. Look he has is great. Every, all the other guys are just guys. Yeah. And Lucy. The Texan looks like a cowboy. <laughs> Lucy gets the, the the wedding dress. And, like, I get that obviously you want the vampires to shine. 
But even before when she's hypnotized and she's pulled out into the garden, the red, it's orange. It's orange. That's the thing. You you see it and you think red, but Aiko, the costume designer, is like, this is the first time I've ever worked with orange. I never work with orange. It just worked because orange was like her color. Looked red to me. I have chosen same color for each leading roles. Lucy's is kind of like a vampire characters. So I wanted costume stand out under the very dark moonlighting. Then I have chosen orange. It might be my first time to use orange in my uh, history. I never use orange. It's uh, like a deep orange, yeah. I can see why. But it looks good. It looks great. And it flows in the wind and all of that. Like, it looks so good. And I loved all of the prosthetics they looked great mina was green by the way all her all her costumes are green and they go up the neck they cover her neck yeah and but they that look made them kind of boring no i thought they looked great they, she's supposed to look like a school marm but she still no. is sexy as fuck like i don't know it's really cool i loved it i loved it it's for me and i understand it's not for everyone but this is for me 100 percent 91 percent actually <laughs> Fine, I'll give it an 8 No, 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 no no. We're keeping it at 79, I'm not trying to talk you up I'm trying to explain why I, I gave it at 91 I liked it a lot I decided it had a lot of problems Yes, and I get that But that is 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula Before we get into our next movie, Kelsey Horror trivia Name five hor- Jesus. horror movies from the 2010s See, the problem is, is there's so much. Okay, you know, the wind rooms where they throw money at you and there's just so much money. Yes. And it's all and people walk out of there and they got like three bucks. I guess. Like, it's that there are so many of them and they're floating all around me and I can't grab them. Like, that's my problem here. So I have to, like, focus and think of movies and then think if they're in the 2010s and all of that. Okay, so. I will say, God, so many of them are so close to 2010 that I'm like, does is this Conjuring Two, mm-hmm. Insidious, The Last Key, or whatever? Insidious Four. I'm sure. Uh, the newest Annabelle. Yeah. I'm just trying to avoid ones that are like 2008 or whatever. The Curse of La Llorona. <laughs> The darkest chapter in the Conjuring universe. <laughs> Did we ever decide if New Mutants was a horror movie or not? Because that finally came out. We haven't seen it. I know, but it was marketed as a horror movie. We'll have to see it okay. first. Okay. Well, I mean, do I have to have seen all the movies I'm going to name? Yes. I didn't see The Last Key. No. Or whatever it's called. How many is that's four, right? It's four. And they're all Conjuring movies. Well, except for Insidious. Crimson Peak. There you go. What are the ones that they recommend? I Saw the Devil. Mm-hmm. Grave Encounters. Mm-hmm. Which we're going to see real soon. Yeah. The Conjuring, which is how I knew that The Conjuring 2 was after that. It's, it's like 2010 or something like that. Like, it's right on the mark there. It Follows the Witch. All right, Kelsey. In Crimson Peak. Yes. The ghosts are explicitly identified as a metaphor for what? 
She literally says the ghosts are a metaphor for the past. The past. Oh, okay. I was like, now I say the ghosts are identified is because we find out you got up and left the room, and I really wanted you to see it, but you like went to the bathroom or something like that. Uh, at the end of the movie, we find out that this is all in a book called Crimson Peak, written by Edith M. Cushing. I just missed that entirely. Yeah, it's like, you know, when they do the credits and it's before the credits scroll, but they're just putting names up and they're all these visuals and stuff like that. The last visual we get is the book cover. It says Crimson Peak and it says Edith M. Cushing. So the book she ends up releasing, yes, her manuscript is burned or whatever, but the book she ends up releasing about the ghost story, it's really a love story. The ghosts are just kind of incidental. They're a metaphor for the past. Like, that's what they are. Like, the movie's commenting on itself. I see. So anyway, that brings us right to 2015's Crimson Peak, written by Guillermo del Toro and Matthew Robbins, directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Mia Wasikowska, Jessica Chastain, Tom Hiddleston, Charlie Hunnam, Jim Beaver, Doug Jones, and Javier Botet. Benedict Cumberbatch was originally cast in Tom Hiddleston's role and left for mysterious reasons. Apparently, when asked about it, he said you could ask Guillermo he'll know or something like that. But I mean... No hard feelings, apparently. Like, they're still... And I guess Tom Hiddleston asked Benedict Cumberbatch if he'd be okay if he took over the role mm. when he was offered the role. And Cumberbatch was like, great, amazing. And, you know, was very happy about that. Good. Uh, and apparently Guillermo del Toro wrote Carter Cushing's role, uh, Edith's father, specifically for Jim Beaver. Because Jim Beaver, who is the father figure in... Uncle Bobby. Yeah, Bobby in uh, Supernatural. Uh, he was also in Deadwood, though, before that. So that's where he know he knew him from. No, we all know him from Supernatural. <laughs> we all know him from Supernatural. <laughs> what is Crimson Peak about, Kelsey? A young, promising rich woman decides to marry a very poor man. With a title and some land. And he has a sister... And some shit's going down at their weird house. <laughs> sure. There are ghosts. Yes. Ghosts are real. This much I know. Yes. The opening lines of the movie. And the ending lines of the yeah. movie. The movie is available with a subscription to Cinemax uh, and all the Cinemax subsidiary services on all the other, like Amazon and all of those, uh, and DirecTV. You can rent it for $4 on most major services. You can buy it for $13 to $15 on those same services, but Amazon and Fandango have it for $10, and AMC On Demand has it for $7. Should people watch Crimson Peak? Yes. Yes. This was a good week. Both movies were great. Yes. I would argue this is not nearly as good as Bram Stoker's Dracula, and it's not my favorite Guillermo del Toro movie. I don't know what my favorite Guillermo del Toro movie is now that I mention it. Is it Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth? Labyrinth? I guess it's Pan's Labyrinth. Just for the same weird visuals and shit like it's that. It's so good. Mm -hmm. but, it is far and away his best movie. But this is very much a Guillermo del Toro movie. You're going to see visual references to Pan's Labyrinth, to, oh God, what's the one with the dead kid at the orphanage? El Orfanato? No. The Orphanage? No. Oh, the Devil's Backbone? Yeah, Devil's Backbone. You're going to see, like, those kind of... You're going to see things that he's used in other movies he'll use again in this. Oh, that's right. You never saw The Orphanage. Nope. You saw that without me. Also, the use of 
Doug Jones and Javier Botet, which is really funny because I'm like, oh, Doug Jones is the dude in this movie. He's the guy that Guillermo del Toro uses all the time. And you mentioned at one time, oh, you know, I would really like the ghosts if they didn't remind you of Mama, which is a movie that Guillermo del Toro produced. And I'm oh, like, he didn't direct Mama? No. Because Jessica Chastain is in Mama. Yes. Yes, she is. Mama is Javier Botet. <laughs> Javier Botet is Mama. He's also the one from Wreck. He's that skinny monster from Wreck. And then I was looking it up and I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? Because Doug Jones is the skinny monster from Quarantine. And then I looked it up even further. And sure enough, Javier Botet is all the ghosts in this movie that are not the mothers, the two mothers that are ghosts in this movie. Those are Doug Jones. The others are Javier Botet. It's, it just happened to work out that way. So you were absolutely right. It was Mama. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> it's good. It's very good. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And there's some really interesting visuals in it. Is it a tiny bit long? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's another great gothic romance. I think both movies are excellent representations of gothic romance. And if you like that genre, you're going to love it. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful, tragic stories, set pieces, visuals. You can describe all of them as beautiful and tragic. And... Love it. Just absolutely love all that about it. This is a great week. This is a good week. It's a very good movie and you should watch it. You could take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2015's Crimson Peak. Ghosts are real. I've seen them all my life. In your own best interest, proceed with caution. Has anyone died in this house? Violent deaths. Never, ever go below this level. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Crimson Peak begin? Ghosts are real. This much I know. This much I know. Ghosts are real. <laughs> this much I know. It's very much told as if it is a book or a fairy tale or, you know... Something that's being read to you before right. bedtime. And it is. The book is called Crimson Peak. Yes. She tells a, a story about the first time she ever saw a ghost and that it was her mother's who died when she was 10 years old of yep. cholera, I think. Something like that. And tells her to beware of Crimson Peak. The ghost mom does, comes back and says that. She freaks her out, puts her hand on her shoulder and is like, beware of Crimson Peak. My child. When the time comes, beware of Crimson Peak. I wrote down, because I don't, okay, I'm going to be dead honest with you people. We've watched this movie before. I fell asleep through most of it. And I don't think that's anything to do with the movie. I think it's just where I was at that time. <laughs> uh, and so I I don't remember the twist of like the place isn't called Crimson Peak. <laughs> and so I wrote down, how are you not going to be aware of Crimson Peak after that? <laughs> so then 
14 years later, now she's 24 years old, of age to get married and all that. And her father has is a very successful... I don't know what he does. He has money. <laughs> He's an investor. He invests in projects. Hmm. Like they're talking about a building, which is a real building. You know, they have that model of the building in the office. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm assuming he's a developer of some sort. Hmm. And she wants to be a writer. And, of course, you know, everyone wants to make fun of her for being too male. You know, making jokes about how Jane Austen wound up a uh, old maid. Uh-huh. Then she makes the joke about how Mary Shelley end up, ended up a widow. Yeah, and that's what she would rather be. And ah, 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 she ends up a widow. Yes, she does. <laughs> yes, she does. Spoilers. There's this guy who I guess we're supposed to expect that she's going to get married to him. Charlie Hunnam. He's Dr. Alan McMichael, whose accent is all over the place, by the way. I never watched Sons of Anarchy. Nope. Uh, it's one of those shows that, like, my dad and my brother really, really like, you know? <laughs> I have no idea, like, how his American accent is in that show, but in this movie, it is real bad. Like, his, he was born in England. His his real accent comes through so, so often. It's interesting that he got cast in a role as an American. <laughs> Mia Wasikowska, the chick from Alice in Wonderland. Yes. I mean, she's very much the same character as Alice's. Willful, creative, not like all the rest of the women. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Basically, he's her Laurie from Little Women. Sure. In love with her, but for some reason she's not in love with him. Yeah, I don't get it. He seems like a nice enough guy. Encourages her. smart, supportive. But she's she rejects him because he's the one she's supposed to be into. He's the one that all the other women are into. And mm. so she kind of rejects him out of hand for that reason. Mm. She's at her dad's business, and that's when she sees Tom Hiddleston looking damn gorgeous. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I kind of get it. But, like, you know, there, there are guys that's like, oh, no, I, I see it. <laughs> you know, they make, make me twitch a little bit. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston just isn't one of them. There's just something about his boyish, devious look yeah, that he has. he does have kind of a devious smile to him, and yeah, I guess I understand that. But it's like this charming, like, you're gonna like what I do kind of look, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> he is, yes, he is a, uh, what's the term I want to look for? He is a... He's a fop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean a little bit, but no more. More that he's he's an object of desire for all those self-described nerd girls out there. I guarantee you, a ton of you women listening right now are one hundred percent into him. <laughs> and yes, not no no shade on that. I can see. Yes, women love this guy. But so he has this machine that he wants to people to invest in where he picks up clay out of the earth. And it's a legitimate thing he wants to do. Yes. And I get that he does have dark secrets. And I guess his her father just picks up on that. 
but he acts as if his business is like this scam, and I don't understand why. Well, it's it's kind of like this. It's not a stand-in. It is an example of this whole this attitude of American exceptionalism of working your way up from the bottom getting your hands dirty and calloused and building your own empire, not being rich and expecting everything handed to you. That's like, we still kind of believe in that myth now, especially now when it's the least likely thing to happen uh, in the States. But yeah, there is this idea that this guy here, this guy here and this guy, like all the people in the boardroom, all of them were nothing and built themselves up from nothing. And who are you, this man with title and land, and you expect us just to give you what you want? But yeah, you're right. What he's talking about is a legit investment opportunity, but Jim Beaver, Edith's dad, doesn't like him on his, uh, like... On a personal level. On a personal level, yes. Well, he also mentions the fact that he... Well, two things. Don't let me forget. I have two things I want to say. Uh-huh. He doesn't let him forget the fact that he has tried to get investments from other places all over the world before he came to them. Which is going to be important for the plot. Which is important for the plot, but why has no one invested in him? Uh Uh-huh. Again, it's this idea that he is this dark person, and yes, he is, but nothing about him shows that. And... His business opportunity is perfectly legitimate. But my second thing I want to say is the dad asks him, do you actually have this built? And I'm pretty sure he says no. And he's like, okay, so all you have is a toy. You've never worked a day in your life. But when we get to see Tom Hiddleston's home. Yeah, it's already built. It's already built. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And the I weird thing confused. is, is that it like it doesn't go down very far. Like it only it would only work on the clay that's at the surface, which is the whole point of this land is that there is clay like right there at the surface. But like, what's the what's the broad use of this other than specifically on his land? It's basically a conveyor belt of diggers that go around and sweep into, it needs to be strong enough to dig through the clay and then pulls it back up to the top where it's dropped off. That's what this invention is. And is it that nobody wants to buy their clay? Why don't they make any money off of it? Because he has no way of effectively getting it out of the ground, and that's what he's trying to develop. He needs people to to invest in him at the ground floor so he can afford to build one of these in working condition. And the thing is, is he is he ends up believing in it so much that he that he does it himself. I think is the implication. I don't think we're supposed to think about the timeline. There's probably a gap in the timeline right there where he, you know, it's not working and he's trying to get it working. I think that's where he needs the investment. Since he doesn't get the investment, he has to do a lot of it himself. But as soon as he, I mean, he's going to marry Edith. As soon as he marries her, he's going to order a lot of new parts that he needs. Mm. And I think that's how he gets it working by the end of the movie. And it sucks because his sister, Let's just get it out in the open. Jessica Chastain and him are in a incestuous relationship. Uh-huh. And it sucks because it seems like he kind of agreed to this idea because he just wanted to he wanted he literally wanted people to invest in his business idea yes. and he wanted to make money 
off of his land. Well, and, well, and, like- and but, but through his own ingenuity, it's not just like, I have land, give me money. He's trying to prove that he's making money the hard way and not just because he owns things already. And it just seems like his sister just wants to keep making money off of dead wives. Yes. It's very sad. Uh-huh. <laughs> because when he's like, we could do a legitimate thing here. She's like, fuck no, we can't. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> like, that's too risky, but killing a bunch of women and taking their money... Is fine. Is fine. Because <laughs> he does, does, does not want to accept that his sister is just an insane, murderous person. Uh-huh. He wants to think that she's in it for the money. For him. Yep. Okay. There's a courtship that happens against the father's wishes between yes. Edith and Thomas. Is his really name Thomas? Thomas Sharp, yeah. So Tom Hiddleston is playing Tom Sharp, yes. Cool. During this time, she encounters her mother as a ghost again, right before her courtship begins with Tom. Who again tells her, beware of Crimson Peak. But again, she doesn't know what that means. And I like the ghost. I enjoy the ghost imagery. It's just that you already did it in Mama. Yeah, but that's not his movie. He just produced it. I know. But you'd think that he would have done something different. But the the difference, though, you're you're just talking about the imagery. And yes, I understand that. Totally. It's the same actor. Well, not the same actor here. That's that's Doug Jones. <laughs> but yes, they get uh, Javier the Botet. The fingernails. Yeah, uh-huh. Like and the 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 wispy the blackness. Wispy, it looks like smoke underwater sort of thing. Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, like he takes a lot of visual cues from himself. We're gonna see spoilers. We're going to see a ghost version of Tom Hiddleston with a hole in his face and smoke is coming out of it like it's underwater, and that's straight out of Devil's Backbone. There's this imagery that he goes back to that obviously he feels very strongly like ghosts to him, Guillermo del Toro, like, look this way. And that's great, and I appreciate that, but you have to remember that film is a medium that people Mm -hmm. know and have seen, and... But, I mean, somebody gets his face smashed in, just like the captain or whatever it is from Pan's Labyrinth does with the handle of his gun against somebody's face. Uh, Somebody gets a hole in their face, just like in Pan's Labyrinth with the captain. (laughs) You know, like, there's, there's a lot of reused stuff from Guillermo del Toro's past here. So, I mean, I can see why people would be like, do something new. (laughs) Yeah. I just... Just like with the shape of water, with the with the amphibious man, like he did in Hellboy, which isn't his original property, but he made those movies, which are great movies, by the way. <laughs> you should watch the Hellboy, especially Hellboy. Uh, what is it the, in the Golden Army? Like beautiful movie that like nobody saw. <laughs> but yeah, even though it's not his original IP, like you had a main character who was an amphibious person anyway i just i I guess i'm disappointed because i appreciate his creativity yes and i didn't feel like there was 
much creativity in this film. I think the most creativity is the use of the deep reds. Oh, yes. Having a red ghost, having the clay seep up. Like, that concept of when it snows, the clay seeps up, it turns the snow red. And that's why they call it Crimson Peak. Like, that's all gorgeous. The idea, the fact that there is a hole straight through his manor where the snow falls down. Yes, it's all beautiful. I think that's just snow. I think there's leaves at the beginning. At the beginning, yeah. And then before it, turns it into becomes snow. winter, yeah. But uh, it's very, very pretty. The costumes. The problem with pe- picking Mia Wa- Wasikowska. Sorry if I'm saying her name. No, wrong. I think you're getting it exactly right. The problem with picking her is that what do we all know her from? Alice in Wonderland. So we've seen her in. Kind of whimsical sort of costumes. Victorian... So if you want to do that with her, you have to do something even more out of the box, I feel. And his, the fact that every single costume had the big shoulders was like, yeah. that's cool for one shot, but do you have to do it for every single one? You know, like. I think especially with the fact that we just saw Dracula mm-hmm. with the incredible costumes. Yeah. I think the best costumes in this movie belong to the men. The boring tuxes are very handsome costumes but uh, Tom Hiddleston's yes <laughs> uh, suits are great <laughs> but again it's just it's I don't just know men Jessica tuxes. Chastain's <laughs> red dress is gorgeous when yeah. we first meet her uh-huh. and she's playing the piano that's really pretty and I love at the end and this is very similar to Dracula when she's wearing the white with the big white fluffy like out cape thing yeah, yeah. Thing. Th- that's very similar to the white wedding dress of dracula but i love that it's counter here because one is an evil character one is a good character uh-huh. and i enjoyed that um but yeah i i just i felt like there's it's funny because a person who has not seen anything by Guillermo del Toro might watch this and be enamored with it. Like it more than if, yeah, we've seen everything you've done, except I haven't seen Kronos. I saw Mimic back in the day before I even knew who Guillermo del Toro was. Seen Guillermo Devil's del Backbone. Toro did Mimic? <laughs> yes. He wrote the screenplay for it, too. Devil's Backbone, Blade 2, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak, The Shape of Water. Like, he did all, like, I've seen all of his movies except for Kronos. So, if you've seen all of that, you might get hip to some of his style and the things he uses repeatedly. And it's not as impressive seeing it again and again and again. (laughs) That's, I think, one of the reasons why I like. Hellboy so much is because by the nature of the IP, it is more fantastical and he can do crazier things with it. I think same thing with Pan's Labyrinth. I think Pan's Labyrinth is just an incredible film and I think see the creativity there is just through the roof. And it's brutality. Yes. Yes. That movie is, it's not a kid's movie and I think that's, that got it in a little bit of hot water if I remember correctly. (laughs) Is people thought it was like a, a sort of dark fairy tale like you might see in like a labyrinth or a dark crystal. Hmm. It's like, no, this is for adults. It's about a kid, but it is brutal. But so he takes her to a party. Again, this is at the very beginning of their courtship. And this when Jessica Chastain first sees her, they make it very clear that she does not like 
that he has this woman on his arm. Uh-huh. Which is weird because isn't that the plan? Oh, be- but no, because they had already planned to do it with this chick, Eunice. Oh, right. Yes, that's right. There was she this whole that, yeah, uh-huh. plan already set in, <laughs> set in stone, and he just sh- says, fuck that, and shows up with Edith. Mm-hmm. And Jessica Chastain is like, what the shit? You're not supposed to actually like these women. Uh-huh. Plus, I don't like her father. <laughs> so they decide to do a dance. A waltz. He is showing off the European waltz. He says, oh, it needs to be so swift and smooth that a candle in the hand of the lead would not go out. Now, apparently, that is not digital effects. They really did do that dance, and the candle really did not go out. But it is a double-wicked candle. Mm-hmm. So, a little bit of a magic trick there. Mm-hmm. And there's a really cool moment, too, when they end and they stand next to each other, and the camera goes between the two of them over the candle and then keeps going. I don't know if that was just, like, a crane shot from above, and that's how it did that, or if there were camera operators that handed off the camera on a steady cam rig or what, but that was a pretty neat shot. But again, it's a waltz with candles. <laughs> so, yeah, so they have this courtship and during this time she tries to make friends with jessica chastain who does not want to be friends with her at all there's a whole metaphor that's going to be introduced between butterflies and moths yes although there is a moment where like to try to sound cool and to try to be a little bit sinister the script does something really weird where jessica chastain lucille Talks about how, you know, oh, butterflies and they're changing and there's a visual motif with butterflies throughout the movie and they kind of represent Edith. And then Lucille says at home, all we have are black moths. And so the moths represent the villainy of Lucille. and Feeding off of the delicate butterflies. Exactly. So that's why she says that like. Well, what do they eat? Edith asks, and Lucille says, butterflies. And it's like, oh, Lucille is is a danger to Edith. They're dying. They take their heat from the sun, and when it deserts them, they die. That's sad. No, it's not sad, Edith. It's nature. It's a savage world of things dying or eating each other right beneath our feet. Surely there's more to it than that. Beautiful things are fragile. At home, we have only black moths. Formidable creatures, to be sure, but they lack beauty. They thrive on the dark and the cold. What do they feed on? Butterflies, I'm afraid. I mean, I know this is maybe being a little bit too literal. It's supposed to be a metaphor, but... I wrote down, didn't you just say that you didn't have butterflies, that you only had black moths, and now you're saying that the moths feed on butterflies? So you do have butterflies. <laughs> like, which is it? Like, the the dialogue doesn't make any sense for the sake of making a really heavy-handed metaphor. So, like, yeah, I get it, it's a metaphor, but was that totally heavy-handed one worth the inconsistency to the script? I, whatever. Well, it's just interesting because... They treat Edith as if she is this delicate butterfly. But the fascinating thing about Edith is how strong she is. Yes. She's not afraid of these ghosts. Well, I mean, she is, but she's not like 
losing she, her mind. She reaches out to them. She's like, point, yes. talk to me. Tell me uh-huh. what's going on here. But Wh- she's been dealing with this her entire life. Yeah. And it's just kind of, she just treats it as people are trying to talk to me. What message are you trying to give me? She's and when not- it comes time to be like a heavy hitting heroine, she does it. Yes. It's, you know, she's very impressive as a heroine, I think. She, she's great. I mm-hmm. really, I really like her as a character. Yeah. So the dad hires a private investigator and he finds out, I'm pretty sure that they're an incestuous relationship because if it had been that they'd been murdering people, wouldn't he have put them in jail? Well, he has no jurisdiction. All this stuff happened over in Europe. But the point is, is I think that I know that you've been married in the past and I know that there's something weird going on here and I know you know it. So I'm going to expose all your secrets or you leave now. Take this check. Take this check and break my daughter's heart thoroughly. Yes. And so he does. And the dad's feeling great about life. Well, he feels shitty that he broke his daughter's heart. Not really. No, you see him when Tom does the thing in front of everyone where he calls her a child and, a you know, uh, whatever it is that he says. You clearly haven't lived at all, in fact. You only seem to know what other writers tell you. That's enough! You insist on describing the torments of love when you clearly know nothing about them. I'm not done yet! What do you dream of? A kind man? A pure soul to be redeemed? A wounded bird you can nourish? Perfection. Perfection has no place in love, Edith. I advise you to return to your ghosts and fancies. The sooner the better. You know precious little of the human heart. Or love. Or the pain that comes with it. You're nothing but a spoiled child. We see the look on his face. Jim Beaver's face. And it's like... I mean, I'm glad that it's done with now. And it's in her best interest that it's over with. Even though I shouldn't be controlling my daughter's life like this. But he's like, but oh, that really did hurt her. And that fucking sucks. But he needed her to be hurt so she wouldn't chase after him. I think he's feeling pretty good about it. And then he is murdered. Oh, yeah. Brutally. Yeah. He... Face smashed in. Yes. But when they came back, the whole thing was fixed, apparently? Well, when they came back later, the the club replaced it. Oh, did they? Yeah, later, later, like, long time afterwards. Oh. In the moment, it's broken. When Charlie Hunnam comes back... And he's investigating things, and he looks at the at the sink. I think he's like, this wasn't a slip and fall. This is very hard ceramic, and it wouldn't have broken the way it did without considerable force, is what he figures out. There's, it's not a mystery that it's been fixed. Okay. And of course, of course, in the meantime, Edith has received a letter from... Tom saying that, you know, everything was a lie. I did it for your dad. I really do love you. And, you know, it couldn't have been him because they were meeting up at the train station and being in love. So it couldn't have been him to have killed the dad. Yeah, there's some reason why he couldn't have done it. But he ends up coming rushing back to her. Lucille gets on the train and he comes back and he gives this great speech, which is very beautiful. I mean, it's something you would expect out of a gothic text. Your father bribed me. To leave. I cannot leave you, Edith. In fact, I find myself thinking of you even at the most. 
opportune moments of the day. I feel as if a, a link exists between your heart and mine. And should that link be broken either by distance or by time, that my heart would cease to beat and I would die. It's a beautiful speech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he's also going to keep having sex with his sister. <laughs> so that's going to ruin that. Yep. So how convenient. He's now there for her in her moment of need. Right, because her dad's dead and now, yeah. And at the funeral, we see Dr. McMichael staring over at her. And he's just like, it's me she should be holding and crying to. And now she's wearing his ring. So they're married. And he takes her back to his mansion, which Uh is totally falling apart. And he was very honest with her. Yeah, she he wasn't that being he was... deceitful. He knew he all he had was his property and like not a penny to his name. I mean, that's why he was there to meet her father. Uh-huh, to get an investment. And out in the middle of this desolate space, there is a dog. Guess what kind of dog it is, Kelsey? What kind of dog? It is a papillon, which is French for butterfly. No way. It is, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> That's a stretch. Anyway. Well, I mean, it's a little, it's a little, like, almost like an Easter egg. I don't think you're supposed to know any of that. But, like, if they had to pick a dog, why not pick a dog breed whose name translates to butterfly? But so she's just like, oh, my God, can we keep it? And he says, as you wish, which I was like, oh, (laughs) that means he really does love her. Uh Uh-huh. We'll find out later that uh, we don't know why, but a little bit later we'll find out that when... Lucille sees the dog and she's like, what is this beast doing here? Referring to a dog, but she's actually referring to this specific dog. They had left it out in the cold before they went to America, expecting that it would die. And it survived for months somehow. Mm -hmm. We don't know why they left it out in the cold yet, but we do find that out. Mm -hmm. The damp and the erosion and the house is sinking and there's no roof and there's an elevator. He's like, do not take this down below this level because Uh it would be bad. And it's just like, great. (laughs) (laughs) But she's totally fine. She never had aspirations of wealth. Well. She just wanted love. Be nice to not be cold. Yeah. Uh Nobody seems to respond to the cold in any negative way. Right? No one is ever <laughs> freezing. And she is running around in a nightgown in, like, in night the gowns, snow. Yeah. <laughs> but that's part of the aesthetic. Yes. And I think it is all very beautiful. And Oh, and they're walking around in nightgowns with candelabras, which yes. are reference to a lot of movies. Apparently, The Innocence was an inspiration for this. Other such films. Oh, The Haunting. Oh, so, I got haunting vibes for yes. sure. So yeah, there are a lot of movies that we've watched on this show. You can go back and listen to them that act as inspiration for this. Yeah, and I this is the not the epitome of what I'm looking for because I want my ghost to be scary. Uh-huh. But this is everything I'm into. It's a haunted house movie. It's a romance. It's gothic. It's Got twists and turns. It's uh-huh. beautiful to look at. Yes. If only the ghosts were scary. <laughs> this would be so right on what I want in a uh-huh. movie. 
So I appreciate this fairy tale whimsy to it, and I understand if that's not what you're into. Mm-hmm. She asks for keys to the house, with ch- which Jessica Chastain says, you're not going to need those. And she's like, excuse me? And she's like, she's like, well, you don't know what's safe and what's not yet. Just, you know, explore around for a couple of months. And then if you still feel you need the keys, then I'll give them to you. Sounds magnanimous, protective, but we really know why she doesn't want her exploring in the locked rooms. Yes. Yes. So while Jessica Chastain and Tom Hiddleston are having their conversation about the dog, she is taking a bath and playing fetch with the dog, which suddenly has a ball, which she apparently doesn't find strange at all. Yeah, uh-huh. She gets out of the tub, I think she hears a noise or something, and there is the ghost that comes up out of the ground. Yeah. Well, first it's in a closet. Right, and then she opens it up, and it's just like a linen closet, and then it comes down the hallway, and yeah. Yes, so she never sees it. There's a shot by the fire, which I thought was just really gorgeous. And then, you know, like I said, the sleeves become a little much, because every single costume she has does the sleeve thing. Yeah. It should be used for punctuation purposes, not every time. And I'm fine with her having whimsical costumes, but when you do the same thing over and over again, it becomes just normal. Yeah. She ends up having a conversation with Chastain, which I think is super interesting, and I wish that they had given us just a little more insight into this backstory. So we get the impression that Chastain and Tom were not treated well growing up. They had a... A horrible mother. Horrible mother. I guess we just don't find out about the father. Uh-huh. Uh, but so they were confined to the nursery. They were not allowed to play in the rest of the house. And the only time they knew when their mother would get home from long trips she would take is she would play on the piano. And so now Jessica Chastain has taken over playing the piano because now it's finally her Hers. house. Yeah, uh-huh. Right? And that's the thing. Like, she wants it to be her place. She wants to be the madam but she can't be because technically her brother owns it. Right. Yeah. And they cannot marry. So uh-huh. what can she do except for this? Mm-hmm. Right? Because <laughs> again, she doesn't actually want her brother to be successful. And then again, later Tom will say to her, "Baby, let's just go." Yeah, let's get, let's get out of here. Let's get get rid of this land and just go live together. Just fuck this, you yeah, know? Uh-huh. Like, let's leave everything behind. And that's when it becomes clear to him that she's like, "No, you don't understand. This was my jam." Yeah. Uh-huh. I enjoyed the life we were doing. Uh-huh. You were unhappy, I was very happy. Yeah. It's and it's sort of ironic that He loves her more than she loves him, but when it turns out that he falls in love with Edith, she feels like he has betrayed her love somehow. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but you weren't really in love with him. You were just possessive of him. I don't know. She explains that, I mean, I guess it could be lies, but she explains that she would take his beatings from their mother. Yeah. But this is more of like a like a debt than it is, uh, you know, oh, I actually love you. I don't know. I she think it up- has to do with how people uh, process love. I think that the way this is just how she processes right. it. No, no, totally. But it's it's just, 
I feel like he has a more compassionate love for her than she, than she does for him. I think he's just a better person than yes. her. And I also think he's sane and she's insane. Right, yeah. Totally. <laughs> so we find out that they have not had sex because she was super distraught over her father's death. She was in mourning and he was respectful of that. Yes. But now, now that she's not in mourning, they, she'd like to get it on, but every time they're about to, the sister pops up. Uh-huh. And the sister's always popping up with tea, and all of a sudden, Edith ain't feeling so good all the time. Uh-huh. Very obvious what's going on here. And I keep writing just, like, gorgeous, beautiful, I love the aesthetic, everything works for me on a visual level. Uh-huh. She, at some point, I think a, a ghost lures her down into the basement where he told her, do not go. Well, don't take the elevator. I don't know. But she does take the elevator down there. And they have, like, these big vats filled with clay. And I'm like, uh, why like aren't you clay. selling the clay? Uh-huh. You like, have all this stuff. They can't distribute it, like you said. Yeah, but it's also, like, isn't the whole point is, you know, you need to dig the clay up from out of the mountain. But you have all this clay here. What? What are you doing? What are you with doing it? with it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, apparently they're using it to hide bodies. Yeah, I guess that's why the ghosts here are all red. Well, that's why they're all uh-huh. coming up out of the clay. I yeah. think that's where they've been buried. I think. Probably. I don't know. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so she goes to him because she's starting to see these ghosts, and she sees the ghosts coming up out of the red clay, and it's all very cool. And at least that was different. That was different. Yeah, I liked that. And she goes to Tom and she's just like, have there any been, have there been any deaths in this house? And he's like, of course there have. This house has been here for hundreds, hundreds of, of years. years. Yeah. She's like, no, I mean, violent, brutal deaths. And he's like, what? Yeah. And the conversation gets cut short because he's working with this assistant he has, I guess, who we never really get introduced to on the machine and trying to get it to work and not break down. So now she's starting to cough up blood. Because of all the poison that they've been giving her. She's trying to find Thomas. It's like the middle of the night and she can't find him anywhere. And she's super brave and she calls out to the ghosts and she's just like, what is going on in this house? But then they give her a weird message and I don't know if I like misheard it or something. Okay, no, yeah. So what's what happens here is they go into the depot, like the train depot where his new shipment of parts is coming in. They travel there, and they get stuck there by a storm, and so they have to spend the night. But while they're there, the manager of the depot hands her mail, which is for her, but it includes a letter that says, Lady Sharp. E Sharp. Because she is, yeah, Lady Lady E Sharp. Sharp, But we'll find out later that so was one of his previous wives, and that letter was for her. But she got it not knowing who it was for, and she opened it, and it was in French or whatever. It was in another language. Italian. It was it Italian? Yeah. I can't remember which language. But um, Have you ever been to Italy? I have been to Italy. And he's like, uh, why would you ask that? <laughs> but they, because they're trapped in the snow, away from Lucille, they end up fucking... Oh, yeah. It's a great sex scene. We see well Tom done. Hiddleston's ass. <laughs> Which apparently was his idea. He and uh, Guillermo del Toro discussed it. And they're like, all these sex scenes, all the the women always have to get naked. What if she didn't get naked at all, but you saw me nude? Giving us what we came for. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Trying to, you know, I guess offset 
the long history of female exploitation in movies. <laughs> but before that scene, she has another encounter with a ghost. And it tells her to leave now or his blood will be on your hands. And I don't know what that means. Tom's blood. He's, he dies because of her. But why would the ghost be sk- sad about that? Uh, maybe because, I mean, that's a good question. You know, sometimes people just throw lines in here because they're poetic. But when you hold them up to, <laughs> like, the motivations and plot of the rest of the movie, they don't quite stack up. Uh, so I think that's part of it. But also part of it, you could argue that it would hurt her. And this ghost is trying to help her and doesn't want her to be hurt and trying to give her the proper motivation she needs to leave. Mm. But it doesn't work. Well, that no, she tries to leave. Remember, she runs out the doors. It's this gorgeous shot with the oh, snow. Oh, and all the wind that and the Jessica, snow comes blow, blowing in, yeah. And Jessica just says, Edith, this is your home now. Uh-huh. Where would you go? You don't have anywhere to go. It's also around here where uh, in his workshop and they start to like – you know, make out or whatever. And then Lucille comes in and interrupts them, but they have a conversation. I don't know if it's this scene or if it's later on, you can correct me. They have a conversation about, oh yeah, once the snow comes, you're stuck here and you're going to see this really interesting phenomenon where the clay seeps up. And she's like, oh, that's interesting. He's like, yeah, that's why they call this place Crimson Peak. And she's like, excuse me? The men leave at nightfall. We'll be racing against the snow. Soon we won't be able to make any progress. That's when you'll find out why they call this Crimson Peak. What did you say? Crimson Peak. That's what they call it. The ore in the red clay leads up from the ground and stay in the snow. Turns a bright red. So, Crimson Peak. What the fuck? <laughs> what do you mean they call this place Crimson Peak? <laughs> I was told by my dead mother to beware Crimson Peak. <laughs> and now I'm stuck here. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know when that happens, but yes, that does happen. Anyway, when they get back after their awesome sex Vacation. sexy times, yeah. Yeah, they get home and sister is not happy. Yeah. Where were you? I was worried sick. But no, she was just jealous. I was frantic, alone in the storm. I didn't know if you had been in an accident. And she's uh, she's just like, I cannot be left alone like that. Uh-huh. And that is when Edith suddenly, like, starts to reel. And she's like, I do not feel good. And she's like, oh, let me get you some tea. And suddenly her entire persona changes. But she leaves the keys... Yes. And Edith takes the key. Marked. Marked Enola. Enola. Because she, since she went down, right, this is where we found all the trunks was down there. What? I think that's in an attic, actually. It's not. Oh, it's those not are in the attic. Downstairs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, whatever. So she finds the key to, for Enola. And she's because Enola was the name on that letter she got. Yes. Now she, and Enola is the name on the luggage that she found. So she's like, who is this Enola person? And now there's a key marked Enola. I'm going to take this and use it to open the trunk. Yes. But of course, Jessica notices because she noticed when it was gone. And then she noticed when it was suddenly back on her keychain. But Edith didn't know that she knew it wasn't there. Yes. Uh Edith thought she was being clever 
and putting it back on the keychain before she noticed it was gone, but she had already seen that it was. Yeah, the, the story is, is that the machine needs more coal, and so Tom tells the assistant to go get some more, and he's like, I'll go get my keys, but since Lucille's outside, he's like, Lucille, can you just unlock it for him? And that's when she looks at her keys and realizes the Enola key is gone. <laughs> she goes inside, and uh, this is after some other stuff that happens, but there's a whole thing where... Lucille intentionally leaves her keys alone with Edith again, walks away to get her more tea or water. water. Yeah. uh And Edith takes that opportunity to put the key back on. And then so that's how Lucille's able to verify. Yep. She stole the key and she just put it back. But what does she do with that key in the meantime? She opens the trunk and finds wax cylinders that Enola recorded stuff on her suspicions about what's going on. We also hear Tom's recorded voice. And this is when she finds out, don't drink the tea. It's being poisoned, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. But she ends up collapsing. And she never put away all that stuff. Yes. And she wakes up in bed or whatever. And, um. Yeah. <laughs> but so she now refuses the tea. But we'll eat the porridge. Yeah. So, of course, Jessica's put the poison in the porridge now. After she already started refusing the tea and it's already too late, she already knows the tea is poisoned. Tom, at one point, tells her, don't drink the tea, never drink the tea. Because now he's decided, I don't want to go through with this. I am in love with you. But again, it didn't matter because the porridge Uh was already also poisoned. There's an interesting moment where when she's feeding her the porridge, she tells the story of how father her father hated her mother so much that he broke her leg and she never really healed and was bedridden for a really long time and I I I took care of her in this bed. Yeah. Which is weird and gross and creepy enough. Probably also where she took care of Enola and all the other wives too, yeah. Yeah, and she says you'll be out of this bed soon, I promise. Uh-huh. Yep. Very good threat. But that is the night when Edith will find out that they are definitely an incestuous relationship. She walks in on them and Lucille is jerking him off. (laughs) Yeah, and she's not happy about it. So she runs out. Chastain throws her over the balcony, but she's somehow still okay. This whole time, though, somebody's knocking at the door. Because we haven't been mentioning, but Charlie Hunnam, Dr. McMichael, he's doing his own investigation. He talks to the private investigator to find out what he found out. He inspects the place where Jim Beaver died, uh, Edith's father, Carter Cushing, and discovers that, no, he was murdered. She is in danger, and he travels there. Uh, He gets to the depot, and the dude at the depot is like, uh, your horse won't make it if you rode it all the way here in the snow. Well, can I borrow a horse? We don't rent out horses during the winter. It's like, all right, well, then I'm fucking walking. You guys follow me up there as soon as you can. And so he's made it his way up to this hill and he's knocking on the door. Tom is begging Lucille, don't do it. Not only because... I love her and I don't want you to kill her, but there's somebody here right now. You cannot do anything, but it doesn't matter. She throws her off <laughs> the balcony. She hits a railing on the way down, but she lands in the pile of snow that's been coming through the roof in the, in the, 
of the house this whole entire time, softening her blow, but she's still fucked up from hitting that railing. Chastain tries to lie to McMichael about how I think she's saying that she's just not been well or something. Yeah. uh But it's too late for her because he sees the ring that she's wearing and he definitely saw that ring at the funeral. So he's like, "Uh -uh, Uh uh-uh, something's fucked up around uh here. She's in danger. So Chastain stabs him. Uh Uh-huh. Right under the armpit. Which I think is also another thing that happens in one of the Guillermo del Toro movies. And she entrusts Tom to finish the job because she's basically saying, show me you love me. Uh Uh-huh. And so McMichael staggers away from them towards the door. Tom follows him, spins him around and starts talking to him. And it's like, listen to me. We need to help Edith. You're a doctor. Tell me where to do this. And at the time, you don't know. Does he mean tell me where to stab you to where you can survive or tell me where to stab you where it'll kill you quick? We don't quite know yet, but of course it's where can you most likely survive? Mm -hmm. And he stabs him somewhere in his gut that doesn't actually, you know, pierce his stomach or anything like that. There's this whole thing about like that there was a baby and we find out that it was a baby between Tom and his sister and that every single one they've ever had has been mangled because uh-huh. it's brother and sister. And she's just like, oh, my God, you monsters, the whore. And she's just like, yes, but the whore was all for the love. You wouldn't believe what love will do to you. It makes monsters of us all. So while Tom is dealing with McMichael, Lucille has taken Edith to sign the final paper Half of her fortune has been transferred over to Europe. This signature is what's required to get the rest of it transferred there into her and Tom's account. So if she were to die, Tom gets the money. And I wrote down, why on earth would she sign? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, she's being threatened, but you know you're going to get killed anyway. Why would you sign? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But... I guess she's, like, going to until Chastain admits that she killed her father? Yeah. Which I'm just like, why would you do that? And Uh, that is She also destroys her manuscript of the book that she's writing. And that is definitely the motivation that takes Edith to stab her. When Tom comes back, he grabs the document and throws that into the fire, too. He's like, I don't want you going through with this. I don't want the money. I want Edith to live. And this is when Lucille and Tom have their confrontation. Yeah. And he's just like, let's just leave. Let's just be together. And she's just like, you told me you would never fall in love with anyone else. And he's like, sorry, it happened. It happened. What do you want me to do about it? Yeah. And she's just like, nothing, bitch, and stabs him. Yeah. He had taken Edith away and told her to take the elevator down and get out through the mines. But she doesn't go down because she's worried about Tom. When she finds out that Tom has just been stabbed, she freaks out and Lucille comes running after her. And there's this chase between Lucille and Edith. And Lucille gets pretty fucked up here. Two hits with a shovel ought to do it. Well, okay. So first, it's the ramming of her arm in the elevator door. Yep. And fucks her up that way. Uh, There's a chase in the vats of the clay. There's this awesome moment where uh, it's very Indiana Jones where Edith rides the conveyor belt digger up to the surface level and hides from her then tom's ghost distracts lucille this is where we see tom's ghost so when lucille turns back around edith has this snow shovel (laughs) and just 
smacks her across the face and then like rams her skull into yes. her body, like hits it straight down into her, like fucks her up. Yes. Brutal, just like Guillermo del Toro does. Yes. Very, very impressive. Uh, she also manages to save McMichael. And then I'm all sure they're going to be married. Yeah, I, I'm sure life. that's where it ends up. But she doesn't take his name if, if that is the case. And then all the people from the depot end up coming up and like, what the fuck is happening here? You know, and that's kind of how the movie resolves. Edith's last lines are they, they mimic the first lines. Ghosts are real. This much I know. Ghosts are real. <sighs> this much I know. As these people from the depot are, Lady Sharp, Lady Sharp. There are things that tie them to a place. Very much like they do us. Some remain tethered to a patch of land. A time and date. The spilling of blood. A terrible crime. There are others. Others that hold on to an emotion. A drive. Loss. Revenge. Or love. Those? They never go away. And the last shot is Jessica Chastain at the piano, and it says love, so I assume that's why they're saying, like, her love is what kept her there. Yeah, so she's going to remain, her and Tom are going to remain ghosts at this point. I don't place. know that Tom's going to remain there. They well, we already know Tom. that he's still a ghost, but I guess his is love for her, not necessarily that place. And it might have been that he disappeared after that. That's what I'm saying, yeah. So he might not have stuck around, but Lucille definitely did. And then this is where we get the book, and we see that it's Crimson Peak by Edith Cushing. And that's the end of the movie. Any uh, other items, Kelsey? No, I think I've said everything. It's it's beautiful, and I love it, and I just wish that it wasn't limp around the horror. Yeah, I mean, I expected there to be more of a mystery the mystery itself is a bit pat, surprisingly, considering, you know, there's a lot of other beautiful stuff going on here. I, I I, don't know. I wanted more of a twist. I wanted to be shocked by something and none of the stuff like, oh, their brother and sister in love, seen it, you know, oh, they've been killing off wives for their money, seen it. Oh, the, the ghosts of those wives are, are haunting this place, seen it. I think they- I wanted more out of the mystery, out of the plot. Visually, it is stunning. But again, Guillermo del Toro is repeating a lot of his own cliches here. One note I did want to get to is that Jessica Chastain apparently talked about how she was goth when she was a teenager. Mm -hmm. They mention it because, you know, she would wear stuff like what she wore, her character wears in this. Mm -hmm. But she talked about specifically how her and her friend went for that sort of gothic aesthetic when they were teenagers, and modeled their looks after Bram Stoker's Dracula. 
awesome. Which is just, it's totally unrelated to the movie. It's just a little note about Jessica Chastain. But I think that that's pretty funny considering how we just watched Bram Stoker's Dracula. But yeah, that's it. What do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? 83. The same as Dracula, 72. Hmm. Crimson Peak offers an engaging, albeit somewhat slight, diversion, driven by a delightfully creepy atmosphere and director Guillermo del Toro's brilliant knack for unforgettable visuals. I'd say that is highly accurate. Uh, Metacritic of 66, which is higher than Dracula. I assume because it's not as wacky, it's a little bit more mainstream. There's not as much to be weirded out by and go, what is this? (laughs) Which is weird to say about a Guillermo del Toro movie. (laughs) Cinema score of B minus, which is also the same as Dracula, but not as surprising as a B minus from Dracula was, which again, I thought it would be lower. Do you think that this movie is overrated or underrated? Underrated. I would agree. It's underrated for sure. But what would you give it? I'm going to give it an 80. That's funny. 1% above Dracula. That's really funny. I was going to give it an 82. It's weird because I don't think I like this movie more than you did. But I definitely like Dracula more than you did. Yeah. And I did not like this one as much as Dracula. There's a bigger difference between these two movies for me than there is for you. Yeah. But ultimately, I gave it a higher score slightly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's in the low 80s, I would say. It's not some stunning thing that you've never seen before that would like right. cause you to give it a 90-something. Exactly. It's good. Yes. It's absolutely good. And if you haven't seen it, you should. Now I feel like I should have given Dracula a higher score. I feel like I should give them both 80s. I don't want to pressure you into changing your score. I would like to give them both 80s. Okay. I think that they both deserve an 80s score. Okay. All right. But yeah, this movie, to me, it's about, it's nine points lower than Dracula. Because I was really enamored by Dracula much more than you were. I really, I think both have a lot to offer, and I think both are just missing some shit that would make it just so much better. Understandable. I want another Guillermo del Toro movie, and uh, I want him to do something really incredible and 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 weird and beautiful again, like a Pan's Labyrinth, say. But right now he's working on Pinocchio. I'm excited for that. That could be exciting. He wrote a movie called Nightmare Alley. He wrote The Witches, which we never saw. Um, Didn't look very good. He wrote a sequel to Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I really liked that movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was I it was charming. I thought it wasn't substantial, but it was fun. It gives me my fairy tale horror, and I love uh-huh. fairy tale horror. Uh but yeah, so his, the next movies he's making are Nightmare Alley, Pinocchio, and a Michael Mann documentary. Yeah, apparently. I gotta say I'm excited for Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> I think it has the potential to be great. Yes, in his hands, I'm really intrigued to see where he takes it. Because I don't want a boring Pinocchio. Nope. And it very much... I don't want another... Oh, God, speaking of Mia Wasikowska, I don't want another Alice in Wonderland. No. Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. I don't want another Tim Burton's Dumbo. I don't want these live-action remakes of old Disney cartoons that are just... Oh, look, everything's in black and there are stripes and uh, uh, I'm Tim Burton's desiccating corpse and I'm still making movies. You know what I mean? (laughs) There was a time when Tim Burton was great. Yeah, there was. So disappointing. I don't want that to happen to Guillermo del Toro. I want him to keep making really 
interesting things and bigger and better things every time. So this could go either way, Pinocchio. Who knows? We'll find out. But that is our Valentine's Day week here on Pod Cemetery with our gothic horror romance stories. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is a recommendation week. All right. And it's going to be a meta week. Okay. How meta can you get? So we are going to be watching Cut, and that was recommended to us by the Chickapedia. Thank you, Chickapedia. Yeah, and she originally wanted us to watch it with Scream 2, I think, which makes perfect sense because it's about a cast of a horror movie getting picked off one by one. Yep, but they are both Old. in the classic era. Yes. And then the other one is from Peter. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Uh, and this is called Fear, Inc., where you pay people to put you into a horror movie. So it's going to be different from movies like if you listened to our episode about Happy Birthday. Uh, it's going to be different from movies like that where they don't know that they're part of an experiment. But the question, I think, is going to be how far do they take it? Yeah. How much of is this real or not? Yeah, I'll be really bummed if it all turns out to just be part of the experience and they're fine. You don't want the game? No. I have a feeling it's supposed to be more of a comedy than the game. Yeah, because the game was like a thriller. Yeah. And it was thrilling to know one way or the other. But in a horror movie, like most horror movies, I don't feel like they don't envelop me as being real at all. Not like a thriller might, you know, where I'm like, oh, what is it? Which way is it? The mystery of is it real or not isn't horrific to me. So, like, if that's all the, that your horror movie is based around, I'm not going to be that impressed. So. I'm f I mean, I haven't seen it. I could be totally wrong. Fairly certain that's that's the whole thing. But also yeah. it's a comedy. Like, it's supposed okay. to be funny. Yes. So comedy, that might be that might add what I need out of it. Yeah. But that is next week. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery. Subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Happy Valentine's Day. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? We've all become God's madmen, all of us. I made breakfast for dinner, so it smells like bacon in here. Love, you're bathing yourself very loudly. It's going to get picked up on the mic. Also, she stopped. Aw. <laughs> oh, she's walking away. Oh, no, Lavinia, no. She opened the door and fucking left. <laughs> <laughs> Mwah, chef's kiss. 
kissing a butthole. <laughs> You've never heard it's like you're kissing a little butthole. Nope. <laughs> Hadn't heard that before. <laughs> the other side tells his bride that he has died. That all rhymed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so she... <laughs> I'm a poet and had no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, she was in great pain. Then we cut off her head and drove a stake through her heart and burned it. And then she found peace. Brutal. <laughs> oh, look, everything's in black and there are stripes and uh, uh. 